that brings up a good point about like the article that I mentioned to you guys earlier. It's called uh, "What Makes a Children's Book Good," and it's written. It's a short article from the New Yorker from 2016 that talks about like what are the factors, like how do you determine whether or not a, a book is a good book? And he talks about the author is Adam Gidwitz, and he talks about sort of two different like. Measurements, I guess. One is、um, content, and sometimes people ask questions. You know, consider the content. And these days, a lot of concerns about should a book be socially conscious, right, and raise、mm. important issues that kids should be aware of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Bookish. The casual book club. Hi. T- Hi, Laura. Hi, Kofi. <laughs> well, today, Laura, Kofi, we're talking about children's books. So I'm actually really excited about this topic because it is reflective of where I am right now in my in the majority of my reading. <laughs> is reading to my children or with my children? So we're going to be talking about children's books. We're going to be talking about what makes a good children's book. Laura has some. Stuff to share with us on that, but I thought to get started, I'd just ask you guys: What are some of your earliest or your most your favorite children's books that you remember reading growing up as a child? I had this conversation with a colleague of ours, and I don't think I started reading children's books other than the Dick and Jane books. And I don't know if I was actually reading those as I was looking at the pictures and figuring out the meaning of what was going on. I think my first real reading dealt with more comic strips and comic books. That kind of became the thing for me to, in terms of reading. And again, you know, you have those books that are geared towards student reading, or if you're a child. But then there were things that I, I liked looking at, like you know the Superman comic books or the X Men comic books, and because my mom collected comic books, so she kind of introduced that to me fairly early when I was pretty young. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember really sitting and looking at the pictures, looking at the characters, you know, fight one another with exaggerated pow and boom, and I thought that was very interesting, and so. Those are the sort of fond memories of me reading something that was, I guess, it, it could be considered for children, but you know, comic books can have adult themes as well. But yeah, comic strips like Family Circus, The Archies, Josie and the Pussycats—that was also a comic strip and a comic book. So these were things that you know my sister and I would. Read and trade, and then we had friends who also read some of these things, and we would read and trade. So, I didn't really get into children's books until much later. And in fact, when I started having children, how about you, Laura? Well, I grew up in Korea until I was ten. So in Korea, I do have distinct memory of my prized possession was this set of like multiple, many. You know, a collection of Disney stories in Korean, obviously, and picture books, and I would devour those, and I would read those every night. And my mom loves to tell stories about how I would pretend to read, you know, by kind of memorizing some of the words that I had heard my mom reading to me, and kind of using context clues to pretend to be reading those books to people. And then when I came to the States, my first books that I was introduced to were the like. 
Dick and Jane primers. Is that they're, that's what they're called? Mm -hmm. yeah. And Shel Silverstein's Oh my gosh, what is it? Where the sidewalk ends. And those are the books my cousin, who was then in middle school or high school, I guess, had used to teach me English because I didn't know any English when I came here. And so and I my family with lived with her for a few months. And I remember her introducing, she was so excited <laughs> to teach me English with these books. So still now I really love Shell Silverstein and I I've collected his books and I, you know, introduced them to my kids. So yeah, those are my early memories of children's books in America, for sure. How about you, Sylvia? I recall, I don't know where I got these books. They're just, they just, I think I got them like has hand-me-down books from other, my parents, friends, other kids, but they were like the little like golden books, you know, the little ones where it's like, there's that roly-poly puppy and like, there's one book called like, Are You My Mother? Which I thought was so strange. Like, how can you not know what your mother looks like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But then, interestingly, the, the most memorable books I have recollection of is belonged not to me, but to my piano teacher, who, she was a very scary woman, but, and I really disliked piano lessons, but the one thing that made me look forward to it was that she had this extensive collection of Korean folktales written for children mm. and, like, illustrated really, like, beautifully, and she had them on her bookshelf, and so... After I was done with my piano lesson and my brother would do his piano lesson, I had like that 30 minutes where I could just read all of the folktales and they're written in Korean and in English. And so I just loved those books. To this day, I still try to find them, but I just, I can't, I don't know where they are. They, they must be out of print, but yeah, those are the ones I remember reading. Those and like you said, Laura, Shel Silverstein, Where the Sidewalk Ends was really important for me because it was the first time I read like children's literature where it was okay to like hate school and like, you know and be a little irreverent <laughs> yeah yeah and then I remember also my second grade teacher Mrs. Lickingville used to at the end of the school day read to us and that's where she read like you know the BFG and some of the other Roald Dahl books Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and I've mm -hmm. actually started to read those books with my children now we're going through the whole like Costco had it on sale, the whole Roald Dahl collection. And so my son's been really enjoying it. So we're reading Matilda right now, which I also remember really enjoying. But it's weird. And this is my this is my next question for you guys. As an adult, have you revisited or reread some of the things, you know, that you may have read as a child? Because we're rereading Matilda. And my husband and I both take turns to read it to our kids. And we're like, we have to censor some parts. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. This lady is abusive. <laughs> like she would, have, she would be going to prison right now. You know, like some of the things she says to them and and does to them. So I was like, I don't remember like absorbing this information in quite the same way. But so much of the the books that we've been reading have to do with. I was thinking back, have to do with how terrible adults are to children and how like what a dangerous world this is for children. You know, and you see that theme I think play out in a lot of fairy tales, Hansel and Gretel, you know, uh, yep. of the Western tradition. But even like in some of the Korean folklore I read, you know, women and children didn't fare much better. <laughs> so no. I thought, um, oh, so much of children's literature yeah. is about how terrible adults are <laughs> to children. <laughs> yeah, but, there, there are these serious morals to stories. <laughs> yeah, like survival. And, and those morals, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> death, death will happen if you don't follow, you know, <laughs> right edicts and the right things. 
Yeah, I've noticed that about German folktales. And for some reason, I don't know how I got this book. My wife and I had this children's book of Chinese stories for children. And a lot of the dragons ate <laughs> the children. And I, I was reading one of them and I thought, I don't think I should read this. This doesn't seem like a good story to read to a child about to go to sleep. And so, yeah, one of the books that I have revisited that, you know, it wasn't necessarily one of my favorite books, but The Cat in the Hat, a lot of the Dr. Seuss books I started reading with my kids, along with Mo Williams's Piggy and Elephant or Elephant and Piggy series. Yeah. And those are some of the stories that I like to read because I can affectate a voice in a way that makes it interesting and makes the reading fun for me and my kids or at the time. Now my kids are kind of old. They don't want me to read at all to them. But yeah, I think that like I, I haven't been able to really introduce my kids to comic books because that seems passe with all the Marvel movies and the, Dis and the DC comic movies out. So there's something lost in that. But in terms of children's books, you know, I think there hasn't been too many that I've really gone back to because I didn't read that many of them when I was a kid. And so the stuff that I did read, my kids aren't interested in, you know, so <laughs> woe be to me. When I read children's books that I as adult think that are great and my kids love, like sometimes I do think like, I kind of missed out growing up with these books, right? And I don't know, you know, beyond that one set of Disney stories that I remember, I don't know what access to books that I had as a child. Like, I don't remember library. I also, for several years, in formative years, I lived in a very remote part of the country in Korea. So there was definitely no access to a public library. But my parents definitely valued reading. So I know there were books around, but I just can't remember what they were. I have thought about the piggy and elephant books. I love those. Mo Willems books are so wonderful. And one of my favorites, one of my kids' favorites is We're in a Book. It's, yes. Um, do, you know yes. that? do you guys know that one? <laughs> so yes, I, I love that one. I mean, it just, it's so, it's of, of course, basically it's self-aware, right? As it's, a, it's meta and anything where they break the fourth wall or whatever, yeah. my kids just love that idea. I think they they recognize that it's a sophisticated idea, right? Where the characters and this fictionalized world is aware of itself. It kind of happens in cartoons sometimes, like in Teen Titans Go, my kids love to watch that. Yeah. And so those books that I would sort of see as being clever, like, or a book with no pictures. Yeah, like I, those kind of books that are very clever. I really enjoy reading. I enjoy it more than my kids really enjoy it. Yeah. It's funny, Kofi, that you mentioned the the dragon because usually, like in like European like stories where a dragon appears, they're like a lot scarier. You know, you're thinking like the Hobbit, the Hobbit, Desolation of Smog, right? They're like greedy and they're like you know mean. And but usually in Asian like myths and fairy tales, dragons are kind of like a little bit happier. <laughs> they represent good fortune, you know, like every new year, you know, that the dragon kind of rings it in, you know, that kind of a thing. So that surprises me that, you know, that the dragon would, would gobble up the children. But my, I think my kids would actually interestingly adore that type of thing. <laughs> you know, they like, they love the idea. They seem to like, they get scared. Like my son will be reading a scary part in the story and he'll walk away and he'll stand outside the door. And I'm like, are you 
do you want me to stop reading? And he's like, no, I'm listening. But he listens from outside the door. <laughs> and then he'll, come back, then he'll come back in, but he doesn't want me to stop listen, like reading the story. He needs to know what happens, you know. I just thought it's it's interesting, like the level of tolerance that, you know, kids will have for, for books. But I also really like these days what, like speaking of access, Laura, I feel like there's so many more people writing children's books from different perspectives. It's really exciting to me to read these books with my kids. And so there are books about like, you know, immigrants, right? So there's this one book that I often, I have it here. It's beautiful. It's written by a poet too, that I often recommend to my friends. And it's called A Different Pun. And it won, I think like a Caldecott or one of those awards. And I love it because it's written from the perspective of a child whose father, I think they're Vietnamese immigrants, goes fishing. And the father compares it to fishing in a pond back in Vietnam with his brother. And this is a different pond. That's why they call it a different pond. And I really love being able to share those types of stories with my kids, too, because I feel like it was so rare for me, besides those like Korean folk to- tales that I read, to see books where, you know, it may have reflected my own experience in some way, shape or form, you know, and or spoke to an interest that I may have had. Whereas now I feel like you can find a children's book everywhere, you know, and the idea of access, we have a great library system and there's even a Maryland book bank where folks can go and pick up books for free and you can donate books. And I just love this idea of things being available to kids and to people, no matter, you know, if you're in the county, they're available to you. And so I just, I think it's such a different era now, I think for literature too. It's just, it's really fascinating to me. That brings up a good point about like the article that I mentioned to you guys earlier about, it's called uh, What Makes a Children's Book Good? And it's written, it's a short article from The New Yorker from 2016 that talks about like, what are the factors? Like, how do you determine whether or not a a book is a good book? And he talks about the author is Adam Gidwitz. And he talks about sort of two different like measurements, I guess. One is um, content. And sometimes people ask questions, you know, consider the content. And these days, a lot of concerns about should a book be socially conscious, right? And raise Mm. important issues that kids should be aware of. So I was when you were mentioning like diverse writers, for example, I really like that book, Island Born by Juno Diaz. And it's about this girl who is who lives in America and wants to write about her. Like there's a school assignment where she writes about her family or her family's from and she's not she hasn't been there. Right. So she talks to the people in the community and her family to learn about the island. And so we're, we kind of go on this journey as these people are telling her the girl about the island. And so things, I think books like that probably maybe fall under that idea. And then the other idea is about, he calls it results-oriented approach of measuring a successful book, as in they sell a lot, which means that Mm. kids are devouring it, right? Like they are interested, they can't put it down. And those were talking about things like R.L. Stein. What, What are the books called again? Um, creepy scary stories goosebumps or harry potter right so there are these different ways of thinking about and then like children's like psychologists for example talk a lot about the psychological value of a book what does it do so i just want to read you this one quote where this child psychologist bruno bettelheim 
explains he believed that a good book would, quote, promote the child's ability to find meaning in life. It must stimulate his imagination, help him to develop his intellect and to clarify his emotions, be attuned to his anxieties and aspirations, <laughs> give full recognition to his difficulties, while at the same time suggesting solutions to the problems which perturb him, end quote. That's a lot for a book to do. Oh, <laughs> but, I, but I can think of lots of books yeah, that do some of those things, right? Well, one of my favorites is What Do You Do With An Idea? Do you guys know that series? Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. one is called like, What Do You Do With A Problem? What do you do with a, you know, and I really like this. It goes on the journey of like, this like cloud of a problem is hanging over this kid's head and he tries to avoid it. He tries to like, whatever and then at the end the suggestion is like you have to deal with it head on right and so it has that kind of psychological value has it's socially conscious i guess i don't know but there is that general basic factor of like do kids want to read it is it fun right it has to have that otherwise no matter what good lessons that come at the end if the kid wants to put it down after two pages it's not going to have that impact you know which is yeah. unique for like adult books because in adult literature like you seek out like a topic that you're interested in like that's the reason why you'll why you will pick that book I think for children it's similar but more of them I found that you know I could pick up a, a children's book about any topic and still be entertained in some way but those criteria I was thinking about it like that does seem like a tall order but I was also thinking like but isn't that the literature aspect of literature in like how our like human issues are reflected back to us, you know, and it can take this like the shape of any one of these, you know, story contexts as it's like vehicle, but really all of it is sort of, unless it's like, you know, fly guy presents bats, you know, which my kids also really like, <laughs> you know, these, like, straight up informational, like, you know, whatever. But even then they're trying to be, you know, entertaining at least. Uh, I don't know about whole anxiety. Maybe my kids have bat anxiety, now, but you know, like <laughs> it's producing anxiety, but I don't know if it's like helping to like fly guys. With it. I, know, I know. Yeah. I wonder I how would like Captain Underpants fit into the, uh, <laughs> the uh, literary thing? Because my son really liked that series when he was like 11 and 12. I think it was a, probably a bit beyond his age range, but he really liked that book, that and Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And so my my daughter started reading them because she saw her brother reading them. But yeah, it's it's interesting how, at least with my, my children, I've watched them progress out of the sort of Dr. Seuss, Mo Willems books into these other, you know, books that I'm just like, oh, okay. My daughter got into this dragon <laughs> series book and, you know, and they're her age, she's, she's 13, but she, she read all of them and would not watch the desolation of smog. She didn't think that was real enough. Uh, <laughs> <just> so, <laughs> that, that was the wrong kind of dragon, I guess. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just find it interesting that once students, not students, my children, uh, I guess they're students too start that love of reading, if you can get them to sustain it for a long period of time, I think that has long-term benefits for their education and just for them 
as people to sort of see how the world can be imagined and, and realized. But I haven't used books that are specific to social issues. I think that I think that's real current right now, and I'm not 100% sure if I'm fully on board. I'm not off board, but I'm not on board either. Why? Why is that, Kofi? <laughs> well, it depends on the book, I think. It also depends on the story. And sometimes when it's so socially conscious, it might elicit types of questions that I'm not 100% sure every parent is able to answer. And for those who can, that's great but it's those who can't that I wonder about. And so even the idea that because someone buys a book that they're reading the book, I don't know if that's always true, but when it comes to kids literature or kids fiction, I do wonder if we are imposing a perspective that is not necessarily something they would naturally come into on their own, which I think stories and children's stories in particular, and sort of piggybacking on what the article that Laura, you shared with, it feels like stories should lead kids into these spaces and not so much tell them Mm. what the space is and define the space Mm. for them. Mm. That's the wonder I have Mm. in that. But I also had a book about a black girl with hair and my daughter has black hair because she's African-American. And that's an issue with a lot of young black women or young girls, what to do with their hair. So I, I can't say I'm, I don't use those books because I just thought about it. But ultimately, I, you know, would I give that book to you and Laura, Sylvia? No, because you have, you know, sons who I don't think want to have cornrows in their hair. But maybe, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, I don't want to limit them. But I think that certain things. You know, not everything is for everybody, I guess, is my bottom line point. I think you, I, I really appreciate what you're saying, Kofi, because I, I think there's a couple of threads in there that I recognize. And one of them is that, you know, children's literature is such a powerful influence in like the formative years of our children, right? Like it really has the power to develop and inform the way that they think and set that foundation. So you know, if an adults have a role in that too, because at that young age, at the young age, you're providing that access to them and oftentimes picking out what they're going to read, or at least, you know, other people might be doing that, you know, teachers, for example. But if you don't follow that up with some thoughtful interaction, then you leave a lot up to, you know, interpretation for the kid, but I, depending on the book, depending on the book. But I also think, You know, at the same time, you're right about like children's literature leading kids to as they grow older and as they're developing to these like broader questions about some of the social issues, especially that are taking place. So like, I think the abundance now of young adult fiction, I think, speaks to that, like that pivotal moment, right, when a kid is becoming an adult and is now like going into these spaces where they're considering all of these social issues. I remember like when I was like in that young adult phase, there weren't a ton of, like young adult fiction was not what it is now. And I remember one of the first books I just happened to read was The Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, what is this, you know? And the thing about Margaret Atwood and The Handmaid's Tale is that it's never like some of the 
Even the books you might see now where it's like, hey, these are terrible issues. It just was terrible. Everything was terrible. <laughs> you know, that's happening in the book. And as a reader, you have to wrestle with and grapple with kind of like what that person was saying, Laura, that you, you were reading from. You have to deal with all of these anxieties, these questions, and you're really wrestling with it in the book. But I had never read anything like that before. So it was my mm. first sort of exposure and experience with that. Mm. So I track with what you're saying, Kofi, and I can see, like, I can definitely see that point of view. I think the other thing, too, is um, that I think about when I'm, and of course, we are doing, we're making these choices for our children, right? Because the children, until they're sort of a, of an age where they might want to go to the bookstore or library and browse and pick their own books, especially early on, you're sort of guiding them or choosing the books for them. And one thing that I've been thinking about is sort of the names of the authors and I want them to see and hear like Asian American names on the covers of books um, because that was definitely something I didn't have right growing up so like Jason Chin has these series of like really beautifully illustrated books about nature and or like Juno Diaz talking about island born or there's a Korean American, there are lots of Korean American uh, children's book writers. And one of them is called Where is Harmony? And it's beautifully illustrated with the, the author's name. I forget the author's name now. But I think that's another thing that I want to see. I want to make sure that my kids have, they're exposed to a variety of creative things that people, Asian people do, for example, and be exposed to that. And then so that that becomes a normal Thing, right. And I think the the children's literature sort of is pretty, there are a lot of diverse writers, as you mentioned. And I think that's a real gift. It's really important, I think, so that they can see that that's like, oh, I too could be a children's book writer. You know, if you don't see it, you know, it's hard to imagine, right? I can't believe it, but I think we're almost out of time. So anybody want to say one last thing before? Closing? Yeah, the, the book that I was talking about with the black hair is I Love My Hair by Natasha Turpley. Yeah, but my daughter had, we had a copy of it for my daughter and uh, I think Angie and I both read it to her. And yeah, and so she still loves her natural hair. Mm -hmm. I think that that, I don't know if that book helped her. My wife has locks, so that's, that's another thing. But mm -hmm. I think the idea is seeing yourself in the book. I think that's where you were going with more yeah. that not yeah. only, yeah. you know, having the names, but seeing yourselves in the book. And on that level, I'm with it. I'm with that. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode on uh, talking about children's books. Please check us out in our past episodes on dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. Um, you can also look us up on Facebook, uh, Bookish, a casual book club. I do want to give a shout out to Kimberly and Christina who commented on our post. I posted something this morning about uh, on our Facebook page about favorite children's books and Kimberly said, Dr. Seuss and Llama Llama Red Pajama series. And oh, oh yeah. and she mentioned How Do Dinosaurs series, which I really love that. And then Christina just wrote, too many to list, exclamation mark. Oh. Right. So thank you guys for uh, visiting us on Facebook and commenting. I hope you'll join us next time. Bye, everybody. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.